Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. It had five porticos. In these lay a multitude of the sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the stirring of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down into the water at certain seasons and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, went down was made well of whatever disease with which they were afflicted. There was a man who had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been already a long time in this condition, he said to him, Do you want to be well? He answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, lift up your mat, and walk. Immediately, the man became well, and he picked up his mat, and he began to walk. This happened on the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you even imagine this situation happening? I mean, I was up on the stage, and no matter where I picked uh, to spend the past 20 minutes sitting awkwardly and trying to appear overlooked, uh, it was at most, what, 20 minutes? Try and picture that in years, and you're starting to get a glimpse of what that man had been through. I tried my best to look or appear overlooked, but it's kind of hard in a place like this, but just the same, I gave it a try. When I first read this story in John 5, I couldn't believe that this man was still waiting by the pool to be healed. 38 years of waiting. I mean, for Pete's sake, why didn't somebody stand up and help him? Why couldn't he wait in line, and when it's his turn, why couldn't he wash? Or like spring break signups were this past Friday, and you could show up three, four hours early, get your wristband, maybe even grab one for a friend, and when it's your number that's called, 
you can be made well. Here's the problem. Beggars in the time of Jesus were not only overlooked, but when they were looked at at all, they were looked down upon. You see, the beggar in the time of Jesus was the socially dispensable. They had no social standing. They lived outside of the city. They couldn't keep any job at all. The beggar in the time of Jesus, for all practical purposes, was the lowest of the lows. The story doesn't even tell us how the man survived. I have a feeling if we asked, either somebody wouldn't know, or they, they would claim to never have seen him before. I even wonder if we did ask if they'd have to admit somewhat sheepishly that, you know, now that you mention him over there, that's the first time I've ever even noticed he was there. All we know about this man and his situation is what he tells Jesus when he's asked if he wishes to be well. He says, Sir, I have no one. 38 years of begging and living, and all we know about this man is that he's hopeless, helpless, and friendless after 38 years. Can you even imagine what that kind of life would feel like? 38 years of loneliness without any friends? Here's the sad part. I think for some of us here tonight, guys, that yeah, our answer would be yeah, we can. We've been there, right? It certainly wasn't 38 years, but I think we've all know what it's like to be lonely. It might not be because we are lame or homeless or beggars, but that doesn't mean the pain is any less real. Maybe your story isn't funny or kind of awkward like mine was just now sitting up in front of chapel, but I think it's real. Because, you see, for us, the loneliness might be something a little more personal. Maybe we haven't been home for over a year. Or if we were honest, we haven't felt at home anywhere for at least that long. Or could it be that we haven't spoken to our best friend since school started? Or even worse, we haven't had any friends to talk to. Loneliness. We know what it feels like. We walk around campus and know that everybody can see us. We're there, we're a student, but sometimes it sure doesn't feel like it. And we find ourselves alongside our lonely, forgotten friend that we just met along the pool of Bethesda, helpless and left to fend for ourselves. I think if that was the end of the story, this would have to be probably the most depressing Sunday night service ever. But it's not because Jesus Christ came to earth for people just like that. Jesus came for the beggars. If we turn to John 5 again, we see that Jesus is in Jerusalem at one of the peaks of its popularity, a feast. Like always, Jesus goes up when there's all the important people there, right? We have the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Those are the church leaders and the scholars of his day. And what's the first thing that Jesus does when he enters Jerusalem? He goes and talks to a beggar. 
kind of strange for one of the top teachers of the day because you see Jesus, the Lord of the heavens, the creator of the universe, comes to Jerusalem to meet with one of the least of these. If we take a look again in verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? You see, Jesus didn't just walk up to this man he just met, touch him, heal him, and walk away. Because Jesus wanted to get to know him. He didn't want to just know his problems. He wanted to know the man behind them. If we continue on in verse 7, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Right, and we all know what happens next because the lame man, 38 years later, he finally gets up, he picks up his mat, and he walks again. Can you imagine the headlines that must come out the next day? I mean, here we've seen it before, right? Science finds the cure for the incurable. Or a doctor saves a boy after a year of hopelessness, but can you picture this one? God heals a man after 38 years. God heals a man. And what's so important about that is it's not only that this man is walking again, right? Doctors can do that. Scientists can figure out how to do that. But our lonely, hopeless, useless man is finally filled with hope, life, and purpose. If we continue to read on in the story, we would find that the Pharisees stay true to form, as we've seen previously in John, in that they really find it quite unbelievable, remarkable, that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath of all days, the day of rest. What was he thinking? Well, as we can see, In the story, after 38 years, this man finally found real, genuine, life-giving rest on that Sabbath day. That's what I would call a Sabbath. And I think on this Sabbath day, 2,000 years later, isn't he still asking us the exact same question? Do you wish to get Wow. Like the beggar, we may have a million reasons to decline. We don't have any friends. It's always been this way. My family's always going to be dysfunctional. It's never going to work. It's simply not possible. I don't know if you've been here at CM the, the past eight weeks as we've been going through John, but I think we see time after time after time that Jesus steps into those moments those moments when it's impossible and he makes it happen. So I want to take a quick break and invite you to pull out those papers that you guys got when you were coming in. Now, here's what I want us to do. Imagine for just a second that Jesus walks up to you and he stoops down to your low place 
and he asks you, do you wish to get wow? What are you going to say? Are you going to give him your list of excuses? Are you even going to want to be healed? Or maybe in the case of broken relationships or broken homes, you're just going to ask Jesus to walk away and leave you alone so you can bury it in the past. Here's what I think. I think we should claim it. I think we should claim our low places and write it down and see what Jesus is going to do with it. I know it's never very fun or easy to write down our problems. Uh, I never like to do it. But nobody's going to see these guys. We're going to collect them. We're going to pass around a couple buckets we have up here in a few minutes after you write them down. So simply write down what your low places are that Jesus is meeting you at. And in a few minutes, we'll come around and collect them. Thank you. What I was going to say tonight, I decided to look up what Bethesda means in English. Needless to say, I couldn't translate it by myself. So as a student, I realized the value of Wikipedia. So I just went online, typed it in. And there you have it. And Pam Bush verified it for me, so it's real, that Bethesda <laughs> means the house of grace. And isn't grace just like that sometimes? Because no matter how badly that man wanted to earn grace, to find it by himself, it wasn't until grace was brought to him that he finally found healing. So as the man sits near the pool, we can't help but notice how similar the healing power of the water, the pool of Bethesda, is to the healing power of grace. You see, the thing about water is that it always flows from the highest to the lowest. It seeks out the low places, the holes, the crevices, the valleys, the lowest parts, and it pools there. Once again, isn't grace just like that? Because grace, like water, flows from the highest to the lowest. It finds out the weakness. It searches out the pain, the suffering, the problems. It seeks out the loneliness, and it pools there. Isn't grace like water? And isn't that good news? Because as when we, when we look at it, when we are crippled and lonely, sitting so close to the healing that we can never get to by ourselves, when we are so close, but there is no one to put us in the pool, the pool of healing, the pool of grace is brought to us. Do you wish to get well? Let's pray.